This is for professional and institutional clients only. This is the last climate warning to humanity. That translates into a climate disaster every 20 hours. Welcome to the Igneo Infrastructure Partners podcast, Keeping It Real Assets. In this series, you will hear from the Igneo investment team in conversation with the leaders of our global infrastructure businesses. We will shine a light on how they operate and their approach to the challenges of an ever-changing world. We hope that you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the first episode of this series. My name is Hamish Lee Wilson and I'm a partner at Igneo Infrastructure Partners. In this episode, I will be joined by Pedro Norton, CEO of Fenerge. Fenerge is Igneo's Portuguese and Spanish renewable energy business. And today we'll be discussing the energy and climate transition in Europe and the part that Fenerge can play in this transition. Pedro, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Hamish, for having me. So Pedro, to kick things off, could you introduce yourself, please, and talk a little bit about your role at Fenerge? I'm the CEO of Fenerge. I've been with the company for the last four years. I joined to embark on and to lead an ambitious growth plan that Igneo had for the company. The idea was to transform a small Portuguese-based company into a large platform, Iberian platform, that was positioned to grow in the Iberian market. I joined uh, Finerge was a wind-based, Portugal-based company. We were a team of 30. We are now a, a company with a very diverse employees. We now both operate wind and solar technology. We are now a fully integrated platform. We cover every single aspect of the value chain from development to energy management and operation. You can say we are a key player in Portugal and aiming to be a key player in the Iberian market. Maybe going back a bit in time, back to 2017, 2018, when we first met, or certainly when we were discussing this role, what was it about the opportunity and the role that made you agree to come and work with us? Fineres at the time was more or less half the size that we have today. The plans were to transform a platform a position for growth. You have given me a lot of room to maneuver, a scope to build a team, to propose a strategy. I think on top of all of that, I immediately felt a great connection and a great amount of trust with all your team. So in fact, it was an easy decision for me at the time. Maybe just to bring things down to earth, there's a lot written about climate change and the impending dangers ahead of us. I think one of the most well-publicized and dismal reports, frankly, was the IPCC report, Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change, released earlier this year. The phrase that was picked up in the press really was that this is the last climate warning to humanity. Pretty dismal stuff. What do you think about that? Well, it's clear that climate change is, in fact, one of the most pressing challenges that we face. I like to be tangible when I talk about this. If you refer back to uh, last year, we had 400 extreme weather events. That translates into a climate disaster every 20 hours. We lost one tropical forest the size of a football field every minute. So if you fast forward and you think about a world with 1.5 degrees, and I have to say this considered a very optimistic scenario, 
The scenario will be only more dramatic. We'll have droughts, seed waves, wildfires, loss of biodiversity. And it's important also to understand that all these effects will be particularly harsh in countries like Portugal and Spain, which are some of the most exposed to climate effects in the European context. That's what we're up against. And then in terms of the response, and a big part of that response being the energy transition, would you mind just expanding on that a little bit more? If you think that almost 70% of what we call greenhouse effects are related with both the production and the consumption of energy, it's easy to understand that this transition towards clean energy is the most cost-effective solution to ensure decarbonization and to tackle climate change. We have done a lot at the global level so far. There is a lot of first political will in place. If you go back to the COP26 last year, you will see that a lot of countries signed up with specific targets to achieve carbon neutrality. In the specific context of Portugal, we have a very clear roadmap with all the carbon neutrality plan, the National Energy and Climate Plan, National Strategy for Hydrogen. So we have political will in place. We have, I think, also the technological resources. I mean, the the last decades, you've seen huge improvements in terms of efficiency and, and costs of renewable technology. If you think about what we call the LCOE, so the, the levelized cost of energy for a solar PV plant, it fell 85% over the course of the last decade and around 60% for wind technology. Obviously, there's a lot that we still have to do, especially in more nascent or less developed technologies such as storage or hydrogen. But the good news is that we have mastered most of the technologies that we need to deliver that energy transition. I also think in terms of investment, if you look at the trend over the last few years, the investments in clean energy have reached record levels. But I'm quite confident that private capital, private debt won't be a constraint to finance the energy transition at the global level. And if you look at the specific example of Portugal, uh, last year we had over 60% of our electricity was produced from uh, renewable sources. So a lot has been done so far. Yes, huge progress has been made. And just picking up on your points around private capital or even public capital flowing into these opportunities, from the investor perspective and the discussions that I have and we have in the team here, I completely echo your sentiments. The capital's there and the will to deploy in the sector is there. It's just about finding the right situations and finding the right spots and really dealing with some of those challenges that still remain. What do you spend most of your time focused on? We still have to face important challenges ahead of us. The first one in the Portuguese context, it's not so true for the Spanish context. We have some lack of investment in the transmission and distribution network. It's vital to invest in grids to create more connection points in order to stimulate, obviously, new projects. So I think in Portugal, we still have an infrastructure problem with the grid, and that is the kind of problem that cannot be solved by individual developers like ourselves. And I don't think that is limited to Portugal at all. We see this all across Europe and all global markets that we invest in. It's a constraint to renewables development, but it's also an investment opportunity for someone else. Part of what I spend, a relevant part of my time is related to the complexity of the licensing process. 
We are in the midst of a climate emergency. We spend, in average, two years of paperwork, interactions with several layers of public authorities to have a project fully licensed. It's true that both the Portuguese government and the Spanish government are trying to tackle the problem, are taking legislative steps to speed up the process. In our specific case, we are seeing some results in the last month and a half, we had almost 200 megawatts of hybrid projects that were licensed. The third constraint that I would like to mention is related to the regulatory framework. Investment decisions in this industry are taken for the very long term. So you really need to have rules that are clear, that are stable, policies that are independent from the political cycles, both in the Portuguese and the Spanish context, but especially in the Portuguese context. We have a relatively stable environment in these last few years. And just to cover one last topic that I think is very overlooked, another challenge that I feel, and I increasingly feel it with our teams on the ground, the need to have the buy-in of the people and the communities where we operate. If we want to avoid a backlash in the deployment of renewables, it will be key to address concerns and fears of the communities that are completely understandable. Those are related with jobs that are lost, for instance, when we close coal plants, or with people living in rural communities that are obviously concerned with the impact of projects in their territories. Are you seeing that impact day-to-day in the investment strategy of Fenerge and the type of projects that are pursued? I would say we felt some regions in Spain specifically In Portugal, globally, we are still in early stages of solar PV development. But if you look of what you need to do in order to comply with the targets, you realize that there are huge areas of PV plants that have to be deployed. And obviously, that will have an impact and that will have to be managed. We try to address that, trying to be involved closely with the communities trying on one side to, for instance, we have been advocating against the constructions of very large PV plants, uh, those are on the gigawatt scale. And just to give an idea of scale, how much land would a gigawatt of solar capacity cover? It depends on the specific site, but I would say as a rough indicator, two hectares for one megawatt. So uh, if you're thinking about a 100 megawatt solar PV plant, we would be uh, talking about 200 hectares. It's a lot of land. So moving on and I guess changing gears slightly, the climate challenge that we continue to face, I think, is definitely accelerating but crept up on us over the last 10, 20, 30 years. Something that's changed very quickly in Europe has been the spectre of war the impact of Russia and Ukraine. How's that impacting the business? How's that impacting the market? Well, I would say you have short-term and larger-term effects, I would say. But let me give a few step-backs. It was clear from just after the invasion of Crimea back in 2014 that Europe had a problem with an excessive dependency on Russian gas. The Commission warned the member countries, asked member countries to act, reduce that dependency. The truth is, this dependency increased over the years. So, when just on the onset before the invasion, 45% of all gas came from Russia. All gas in Europe? Of all gas in Europe, yes, which is huge. As we did not prepare for that, we now have a very complex choices to be made because we need to 
take short-term decisions in order to reduce that dependency, but on the same time, we cannot lose the sight of the longer-term goals. And so what the EU is proposing with this Repower EU program is in fact to address both short-term and longer-term goals. In the short-term, what member countries are trying to do is to diversify the sources of gas supply because obviously you cannot in the short term do otherwise. And that may push back the energy transition efforts that were in place. You're seeing that some countries are putting back coal plants uh, in operation. Now, if you look for the longer term, the more structural answer is to reduce the dependency of Europe from fossil fuels altogether. And that can only be obtained through a more rapid deployment of renewable energy and also of storage solution. What is important to realize here is that the long-term answer to the problem of dependency of Russian gas is the same answer for the climate problem. It's more renewables in the electric systems in Europe. You spoke about the short-term impact of the war, and I think that has been mostly felt in power prices. We've seen incredibly elevated prices across the whole continent of Europe, uh, really pervading into every single country, and to the point of having very significant social impact on people's day-to-day lives. Some massive bailouts have been announced. How do you evaluate the measures taken so far? How do you think we should be dealing with this situation? First of all, I think it's important to understand that I don't expect Finairs to be affected by the kind of temporary measures that are being discussed at EU level nor were we affected by the so-called Iberian exception that effectively caps the power prices for both Portugal and Spain. And the reason for that is very simple. Almost 100% of our portfolio is regulated. So we don't benefit from the surge in power prices, nor would we be affected in the short term if Europe will impose caps on those power prices. And the same goes for the so-called windfall profits, I mean, it would be very strange to target companies that are not making any kind of extraordinary profits in the current context. Now, having said this, I'm not concerned with the measures on the short term. I am worried about the possible more structural answer that could be taken in a context of panic. Again, we cannot forget that we still have to tackle with a climate problem. To do that, we need a market framework that delivers the right incentives that will foster private investment in renewables, in hydrogen and storage solution. So there are currently discussions at EU level rethinking the framework of the power markets. What gives me confidence is, coming back to the point you made at the very top of the discussion around the competitiveness of renewables versus any other fuel sources, we don't need government subsidies and support to build and to be profitable, do we? Even when you are trying to solve the problem of a surge in power prices, you come back to always to the same solution. More renewables in the longer term will lower prices. So on the topic of more renewables, we've spoken a bit about the very significant growth that Finerge has achieved over the last three or four years, well over a billion euros of investment and growth. Would you mind just talking through a few of the ways in which you've managed to orchestrate that? Sure. 
If you remember 2019, when we have put together with Igneo a strategic review and very ambitious growth goals, we decided to base our growth in two main pillars. We decided to reorganize the whole company. In fact, we created a division solely dedicated to growth, but we decided to base our strategy in two main pillars. The first one was obvious, was inorganic growth. We were able to attract a very good team that works, as you know, in close coordination with Igneo that can source a good number of bilateral opportunities, and that's the spot where we like to be on the M&A field, that can use a lot of the technical knowledge and operational experience. At least in Iberia, we were the first to incorporate in our models the levers of overpowering, of repowering, of hybridization in our models. Another source of competitiveness for that was the fact that our main area of expertise is wind. I still feel that most of the players feel more comfortable in the solar arena where the technology is less complex. It's important to say, uh, when Igneo acquired Finerge, uh, the install capacity was around 600 megawatts and it now stands at 1.6 gigawatts. It was very clear from the onset that we needed to add another layer of growth to complement the inorganic growth. And we decided, together with yourselves, to enter full scale in Greenfield. For yourselves, for our investor, it was also a new place to go. We were able, in these last three years, to develop around 1.5 gigawatts of secured pipeline. Uh, we like to call it secure to make it very different from all the gigawatts that we hear about in the markets. We call it secure because all this pipeline has interconnection points that are granted. It's just a matter of time, and we hope that this pipeline will reach a COD phase in the next two to three years, Max. It's been a journey to get to this point. We're delighted to look forward. There's some really ambitious plans going ahead in just the next few years. One of the points I did want to pick up was that move from Brownfield M&A and then going into developing projects and overseeing the development and the construction of new sites. From the investor side or the shareholder side, I think what gives us the comfort and the confidence to do that is the large base of really well diversified operational assets. And as you say, which are this year, I think it's 99% of the revenues are, are regulated or under feed-in tariffs. We have that visibility and that really strong base to build from going forward and exploit our position in the market to go into the greenfield. Absolutely. We are in a very good position to do so. We've heard a lot about the challenges that have been faced when we look back and what you're focused on at the moment. How about when you look forward, what's next for Finerge? My feeling, our feeling, I think you have the same, uh, is that we have huge opportunities ahead of us. As we discussed, the long-term solutions for both climate change and Europe's uh, security problem is the deployment of more renewables. Portugal and Spain are unique places to do that. Both countries are very rich in terms of wind and solar resources. Both countries have very uh, well-established regulatory frameworks. And I like to think that we, uh, Finerge, are in an ideal position to embrace these opportunities. We are in a platform that is fully integrated. We have the skills, we have the team, we have the track record, and also we have the support of our uh, shareholder, which is absolutely crucial. Now, having said that, it's true that in these last few years, we have been mostly concentrated in Portugal. And so the next big challenge is to replicate our success model in Spain. Our team has been studying the market, the regulation, the players. 
it's a very interesting market, which is very close in geographical and cultural terms, but which is five times the size of the Portuguese market. The plan is basically to try to replicate our developing and, and constructing capabilities in the Spanish market. And I think the full team is very mobilized to take this new step. Well, Pedro, unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. It's been a real pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Real Assets, the Ignio Infrastructure Partners podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you can listen to more by following Ignio Infrastructure Partners on your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to find out more about Ignio Infrastructure Partners, you can visit our website at igneoip.com. This podcast series was produced by Mark Gardner at OX4 Sound Studio. This podcast is not a financial promotion and has been prepared for general information purposes only. It is not intended to be investment or financial advice and does not take into account the specific investment objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. References to specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell such securities. Investment vehicles managed by Igneo Infrastructure Partners are only available to institutional investors, professional investors, qualified investors and wholesale clients. They are not available to retail clients, the general public, private customers, or any persons in any jurisdiction in which their distribution is not authorised. Igneo Infrastructure Partners is an unlisted infrastructure asset management business and is part of the First Sentier Investors Group. We communicate and conduct business through different legal entities in different locations. Please refer to the notes section of the podcast platform you use for more information on Igneo Infrastructure Partners in your region. For Singapore only, the podcast should be used in accordance with the applicable laws in Singapore. In Singapore, the podcast is issued by First Centia Investors Singapore, whose company registration number is 196900420D. This advertisement or material has not been reviewed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore. First Centia Investors Registration Number 53236800B and Igneo Infrastructure Partners Registration Number 53447928J are business divisions of First Centia Investors Singapore.